Oh yeah, another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Leo Flowers. I hope that you have checked in with yourself. I hope that you are feeling um, calm and centered and collected and uh, collaborative. And I also hope that if you're not, maybe... Maybe you're you're anxious and frustrated and fired up. Um, if you're feeling that, that's great. That's wonderful because it means you're alive. It means you're still here. It means you can feel. I, I was watching a TV show and this woman is in a coma. When you're in a coma, when you're paralyzed, you can't feel anything when you're dead. There's there's nothing to feel. There's no good and no bad. And there's so many articles and books and talks about how to get rid of fear, how to get rid of anxiety. And I think we have to change the discussion around that. It's more about how do we live with fear? How do we, how do we, how do we thrive with anxiety? How do we, how do we manage it? We can't get rid of it. It's part, those, these emotions, it's just an emotion. It's just, and I talked about this in a uh, previous episode, it's just a dust storm. A, there's a, um, um, a, there's a Netflix special or a docu-series called Our Planet. And I talked about this in a previous episode with either, I think, uh, Mar Margot Celeste Alvarez or it was Ashley Malam. It was either one of those. But I want to bring it up again because it's so powerful. And that they open up the series showing a dust bowl or a dust storm taking place in sub-Saharan Africa. And, you know, you're like, why are you showing this to us? What, what's the meaning behind this? Netflix? I want to know. And they just show it coming through. And they show these people working out there in the, in the salt mines and the dust storms coming through. And you're feeling horrible for these people. And then uh, they show it going across the ocean. I didn't realize that dust storms, you know, carry on across the ocean. So far, it goes to South America. The dust storm that starts in Africa goes across the ocean and, and fertilizes the soil in, in South America, specifically the Amazon rainforest. And they show that, the, the, the dust settling, and you see the trees and birds and wildlife uh, feeding off of it. And, the, and it helps uh, build the river banks and et cetera. Like so much life is dependent on the sandstorm that started in Africa that came across the ocean and landed in the Amazon rainforest. Um, and that's how... I want you to think about 
your emotions. I, I, I know if you've been listening to all the episodes and podcasts, I've been calling them flare-ups. You know, when we when we have those suicide ideations or uh, we get upset, I used to call them flare-ups. And even when I was calling them flare-ups, I, I, there was a part of me that had a problem with it. And I, and I wasn't able to pinpoint what it was. And I, well, now that I think about the dust storm, I realize that referring to them as flare-ups, it makes them sound inescapable. Like it, like it's almost like you're just surrounded by flares and fire and you can't go anywhere. You just ball up where with a dust storm, even though you're being or a sandstorm, even when you're being hit with the sand, you can feel the storm moving across you, moving past you. It's not stagnant. You know that there's an end to this and it may feel like at the moment that it will not come to an end but but you can feel the sand hitting you going past you moving on and you know there's not enough sand in the world to keep this up forever although there may be i don't know maybe there's some uh statistically there may be enough sand to keep a sand sandstorm going forever um by the way we apparently are running out of sand. And when I say sand, I don't mean the sub-Saharan African desert sand. I mean the sand that we need to make concrete. Uh, but that's just a side note. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about water and air. But sand is, is uh, actually what we need to build, obviously, the roads. But we also need them to build microchips and glass. Glass is just sand that's been smoothed down so um sand is definitely a commodity how anyway i digress I, I i was telling you all that about the sandstorms coming across the ocean atlantic and amazon because your your fear your fears your anxieties your your hurt your pain all of those are sandstorms that are moving through you. And if you can sit in there, if you can if you can handle it as it's going past, it's going to fertilize some your future is going to fertilize something excuse me, it's going to fertilize something beautiful. It's going to grow trees and a forest and it's going to attract right this thing that is feels so disruptive right now is gonna going to attract birds and and rivers and water and 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 the wildlife and and just life and it, it, abundance basically abundance but it requires us just having to do nothing when I was when I was watching the uh, the the video you know people just they just uh, they wrapped themselves up and just curled up until the sandstorm uh, went by them and that's all you have to do that's okay it's not a sign of weakness for you to get down on your knees and and curl up until the pain and the hurt and the anger and the frustration subsides that is a sign of strength and courage for you to know and awareness 
for you to know how to take care of yourself and to do that. I mean, how many, how many times have we known to make the right choices and then we didn't make the right choice? We did not make the right choice. I, I, I was at a friend's house the other night and everyone was drinking and uh, they offered me a drink and I wanted a drink. And not because I wanted the drink, I just wanted to feel like I was a part of the group. I wanted to belong. And, but I told myself, like, I have to drive home. I have to drive home and it would not be safe. And it would not be, um, it wouldn't be smart of me to have a drink. Because if I have a drink, I'm not gonna stop at one. I'm gonna be like, oh, I had a drink. I might as well have three drinks or five drinks or whatever. Um, and then I'm going to get in my car and tr and have the worst drive home because I'll be paranoid and terrified about being pulled over. And I was like, I don't want that. That doesn't sound like fun or enjoyable. And then I'm going to wake up the next day with that I had too many drinks hangover. And I, I you know... To me, the, the best uh, uh, hangover remedy is not to have those drinks. Which, by the way, they talk about like when you hang around people who've had a couple of drinks, um, you, uh, you it, like vicariously, you can feel drunk. And I definitely, I had like a weird hangover the next day. Like I was, I woke up the next morning feeling like I had a million drinks for whatever reason. So you really do have to be aware and protect uh, your energy and where you are because your environment influences you. Uh, I want to read something to you from the book, The Untethered Soul. It's just a quick sentence, uh, or a couple sentences, all right? Uh, quote, if you really want to see why you do things, then don't do them and see what happens. See what happens to you when you don't do the things that make you comfortable. What you'll see is why you're doing them. Let's say you're a smoker. If you decide to stop smoking, you quickly confront the urges that cause you to smoke. These urges are the reason you smoke. They are the outermost layer of cause. If you can sit through these urges, you will see what caused them. If you can get comfortable with what you see, you will face the next layer of causation, and so on, layer upon layer. Likewise, there's a reason you overeat. There's a reason why you dress the way you do. There's a reason for everything you do. If you want to see why you care so much about what you wear and what your hair is like, then just don't do it one day. Wake up in the morning and go somewhere disheveled with your hair a mess and see what happens to the energies inside of you. The um, end quote. And I'm reading that to you because uh, I've started eating ice cream again. Jeez Louise. And I knew it would come back, you know, like, like sandstorms do. And... So what I've started to do is I have a, I have a calendar. I have a tiny little calendar uh, that I have up on my wall. And I mark an X 
for every day that I eat. Because when I eat ice cream, I don't just have uh, a scoop of ice cream. Are you kidding me? Come on. I have a pint of ice cream. I'm all in on the ice cream. And so I put an X for every day that I have a pint of ice cream. So I, what? Tuesday, pint. Wednesday, pint. Thursday, nope. Friday, nope. Saturday, nope. And then today, Sunday, yes. There's a, a couple reasons, uh, a few few causalities for it. Uh, one is I didn't take a nap today. So I was just going, going, going. And at no point did I just uh, hit the pause button and allow myself uh, 20 minutes or an hour to recharge. And I know when I have days like that, um, it I... I get anxious throughout the day if I don't if I don't get my nap in. Um, the second reason is I I had the second half of my day I just kind of I was with family and and I was sitting around for a large part of it and I I get antsy when I sit around I don't like being in um, I, I realize like as an introvert I love being with people if there's a purpose like if we're doing if we're playing a game. If there's a sport, if there's, um, if we're trying to, if there's a mission, if we're building something, uh, maybe we're watching something together, but just to be hanging around people, just to hang around, I don't do well in those situations, and, um, and so I was there for way longer than I anticip anticipated being there. I think I was there for like four or five hours, when you know me. I'm always trying to bounce after two hours. But the reason I stayed longer is because I thought the food would be ready. And I, the food was not ready. And so I, 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 but I really wanted the food because it was some home cooked food that I haven't had in a while. And, uh, and, and that cost me, that, that, that ramped up my anxiety level uh, a little bit. And then also uh, a third uh, factor is uh, dehydration. I know I, I'm not as hydrated as I should be. And when you're dehydrated, you just, uh, you crave more, more sweets. Uh, and then the fourth reason is, and it's going to sound strange. I wanted to watch Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies is a great show, but I found that when I'm excited about watching a, a television show at night, uh, that excitement leads me to, you know, there's, there's excitement, but there's also angst, and then it makes me want to snack. Like, it's, it's hard to watch TV and not snack, for me at least. Uh, the alternative would be if I just had kicked in my bedtime routine of journaling, reading, doing some exercises, things like that. Those, the thoughts, the thought of doing that is soothing to me it calms me down. The thought of watching TV right before bed amps me up and uh, excites me a little bit. And then I, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I get to watch Big Little Lies, it's gonna be good, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, like I said, there's a number of factors. Now, I, I'm bringing this up because a lot of times we try to make changes in our life and 
we don't, um, but without having first observed the behavior, we we haven't yet tapped into, witnessed, figured out the patterns of behavior that we're trying to to break. Right? It's like so many, you know, uh, especially addicts. You know, you ask them how many drinks they've had, and they'll say, "Oh, two or three. And then when you really dig deep and you really get them to track how many drinks that they, you realize it's more like six or seven, right? Um, and same thing with food. A lot of times we go, oh, I think I only had uh, uh, two or three cookies. And then you go, oh, wait a minute. I had, I ate the entire box and I've been eating the entire box every night for uh, three months, you know, so, and, and, and it's same thing with your cell phone, especially, you know, I have this, I think we all, if you have an iPhone, it tracks how many times you pick it up and not only how many times you pick up your cell phone and look at it, but, uh, what you're looking at, like how much time spent on Instagram, social media, messaging, music, things like that. It gives you a breakdown of those hours and you can't believe it. You're like, whoa. So, going back to my calendar and tracking the amount of days I'm eating ice cream, this is not to judge myself, it's not to uh, or shame myself, or uh, do that. It's just to observe, to say, huh, I, uh, out of six days, I ate ice cream uh, three of those days, and uh, I didn't eat ice cream uh, in the other three. And so, now, it's something that's at the front of my mind. It's in my prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of my brain versus my amygdala, which is my fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and so now, you know, tomorrow I would assume I probably won't eat ice cream because it's at the top of my mind. I'm a, I've made note as to the, the, uh, the causality and I'll, I'll take steps tomorrow to uh, put those uh, buffers in place in terms of hydration and uh, taking a nap, but also uh, oh I didn't have any greens today. I didn't, and I and that's what I've also noticed the days where I ingest a lot of uh, greens, a lot of vegetables, are the days where I don't eat uh, the ice cream. Also, um, so there's a number of factors. And I bring that up because there's just a number of factors with anything that we we do in life. There's not just one reason why something happened. Um, there, there are multiple levels, as this book, The Untethered Soul, was referring to when it said, if you really want to see why you do things, then don't do them and see what happens. See how you feel. See what your responses are. See, you know, some people, um, you know, they don't drink and then... Or they drink, and then when they stop drinking, they find that they are um, really anxious or really angry or, you know, like all these other emotions start to show themselves. And and um, and I understand that we would be um, afraid of, of well, I, should, I, should, I definitely should drink if it's going to show, show my anger. But it's by, remember that anger is a sandstorm. And if we can sit through that a few times, then we can come out on the other side of that 
uh, with some clarity and calmness and, and feeling connected um, and some insights and, uh, and, and transformed, hopefully. That, that's, that's the goal there. So, you know, and so with this calendar thing and a tracking thing, I'd say track one thing. One thing. Don't, you know, don't be tracking ice cream and tracking sleep and tracking food and track. Like that becomes too much for your brain. You don't have enough bandwidth to, to track multiple things. Pick one thing because what you'll find is by tracking one thing, it will cause a domino effect of things that you will change. So by tracking the ice cream, it's already, because I started tracking ice cream, I've, I've been journaling more and reading more um, and just doing more of the other things that uh, nourish me and, um, and help me to thrive and help us get to 100. Uh, speaking of nourishment, I, I went and I got a massage today. I love to get a 90-minute massage uh, once a week. And I know that's not uh, feasible for a lot of you. Um, but if you can get a massage once a month, you know, self-care is so important, to, especially if you're someone who, um, if you're feeling lonely or disconnected, uh, and uh, it's just a, just a way to connect with someone in a very healthy way. To, to, it's, you know, my masseuse is touching me and she puts so much now find a good masseuse someone who's who you really feel um they love what they do and they love uh working on you i really feel uh connected with my my uh my masseuse it took me a bunch of like six or seven before i found the one masseuse who i i'm like wow she shows up every single time and uh and I just, I feel great during and after. And I'm, I'm always, uh, I don't feel excited to see her. I'm always, I feel calm because I know it's going to be uh, the, the, a perfect experience for me. So just know that it's, it's not something that um, will happen for you, uh, you know, with the first, hopefully you find the, the right person the first time, but you might have to go through a couple of those. All right. So. Today I wanted to talk about uh, relationships. You're like, I posted something on Instagram about uh, what it takes to be in a relationship. And a lot of talk out there is, oh, a relationship is 100-100 or 50-50, whatever percentage people are giving to it. And I've come to realize that a relationship really only requires 20, and I don't want to say only, requires 20% of you and 20% of the other person. Now you're like, Leo, that only brings us to 40%. Where's the other 60? The other 60 is 20% from your community, uh, 20% from your job or your work or your career, and then 20% family. Now, why is that? I have friends who are married, and so many times they tell me how much easier it is to uh, take care of the kids because 
uh, family members helping them out. Um, and, you know, being able to babysit for free or stop by. And, you know, family, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, that's what grandma's for. That's what, and if you're, if, you know, hopefully you still have your grandparents around. Um, but that's part of why having kids early uh, was a benefit because then the grandparents were still young enough to be involved. But now people are having kids at such a much later age in their late 30s, early 40s, that now the grandparents have been aged out of their role, right? Their grandma's too... Grandma ain't bending over at 80. Grandma, Grandpa ain't scoop, ain't playing, ain't running around with the kids at 79. He's not. They're just not. Well, like if you had your kids in your in, in your 20s, then your grandparents were probably in their uh, 50s, right? Uh, you know, early 50s, somewhere around there. So there was still, everybody was young. The, the kids were young. You or the parents were young, the grandparents, like everybody could contribute. And now, uh, you know, people are having them at a later age. So now people have to buy, uh, they have to pay for a babysitter. Uh, they have to pay for preschool. They have to pay for all these things because uh, the having kids, well, partly because they're having kids later, but also because now everybody's moving around, you know, um, I know as soon as I graduated from high school, I, I went off to college and then in Indiana, I went from Chicago to Indiana to L.A. And so a lot of uh, adults are doing that. Children are, 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 who grow up to become adults, they do that. Like they, they, as soon as they graduate from high school to college, then they move to another state and then they have kids in that state. And now they've moved away from the parents. So now they have to pay for child care and they have to pay for a babysitter or a nanny because they've moved so far away from their parents and their parents, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, good luck if your parents can afford to always travel back and forth to help you out with the children. But, and, and what does that have to do with the relationship in that, you know, that's a, think about, it's a financial burden if you have to pay for the nursery and babysitter and all that and all that kind of stuff. And then also that means that you have to work more to pay for those extra services. So you, you, you two aren't seeing each other as much as you should. And when you do see each other, um, it, it, you're either going at each other or you want to sleep um, or you want to eat or whatever. Like you're not kind of putting any more work than you've already put in to your day job or day jobs in some cases if you're working two jobs. So family is huge and it's, and it's great to have the support of your family of you know who you're with and of, of the kids that you have. I mean, that's, you know, because they, they, there are gonna be times where people run into financial burden and it'll be your family that bails you out. I know my mom was, uh, you know, my family was always, you know, my family, we, I, just, I was going to say my mom, but uh, there's a lot of lending in my family, just within a family. Oh, you need something? If the family members get together and they uh, raise money for whoever needs it. I mean, now people are doing GoFundMe and Kickstarter and things like that. But uh, it, it, the family 
usually takes care of the family. I was, like I said, I was with my family today and my, uh, one of my aunts was there, or my cousins, and you know, she's in her, she's almost 80, uh, five kids, had a great life, loves life, has a sparkle in her eye, can talk for days, um, but early signs of dementia. And um, I don't know why I feel a little emotional about that. But anyway, uh, she, she has early signs of dementia. And, um, but the family is, is rallying around. All five of her daughters are taking care of her. You know, she's going, they gotta go, they're not putting her in a home. They're not sending her away. They got her. They, you know, when, when we have dinner, she's right there at the dinner table. Uh, you know, so one daughter help her shower, another daughter help her put on her clothes. Like, she raised five really good daughters, and they all have, and they've all gone on to be successful in their own right. But And they still are, um, you know, family-oriented. They're, they're not the... I made my money, I won't have anything to do with the family kind of thing. Um, they're all like, we're gonna we're gonna figure out this thing with mom together as a unit. And and that's what relationships need. That's that's a part of it. Not and I understand every relationship is different, but we can't deny the foundation and the structure and the input and the value of family members. And I know some of you or a lot of you may not have any family at all. You've been adopted or um, there's been wars. But if you're on an outs with your family, I, try, work on repairing things with your family or just move on and build another family. Build a tribe. When I say family, it doesn't have to be blood. You can build a tribe. That's why a lot of people start companies. Uh, you know... Um, I believe that's why it, it was, I believe it was a motivating factor for Steve Jobs. I'm not going to say that he didn't say this in any of his bios or in his book or uh, in the movies or in interviews, but I believe one of the reasons a person like Steve Jobs builds a company like Apple is because it creates a sense of family. He was adopted, and uh, I'm sure a part of him wanted to feel like he had a family of his own and not just a family he was raised by, even though it, it appeared that he loved his parents and, and uh, respected them very much. And, and they in turn him. However, there's so many ways for you to build a family, to build a tribe and, and get people around you. It's part of the reason why I did, I'm doing this podcast is I, I love the messages and the communication that uh, I'm receiving from you all, and it and it makes me feel like um, you know this is more than a podcast. It's a movement. It's a movement because uh, we're not just talking about. We're not just saying. I'm not just saying. Hey, listen to the podcast. I'm saying, let's 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 activate. Let's do things. Let's exercise. Let's mobilize. Let's let's contribute. Let's volunteer. Um, let's sit in the sandstorm, you know, it's not, sometimes it's not always about, um, you know, action, action, action. Sometimes it's about giving yourself permission to do nothing, um, and accepting where you are. 
So uh, that's all I'm going to say about family. So that's the first, uh, not the first, but that's that's 60%. So it's, it's you, your partner, and then family, right? And then the, the, the fourth slice of the pie is your job, your career, the money. Because if you are, um, if you're working two jobs, or you have a long commute, you have a long commute, but what if both of you have a long commute, an hour, two hours, like that, that's not only uh, leaves you with no energy for the relationship, but for yourself to take care of yourself and, and nurture yourself. And so that's not healthy. If you're not getting paid enough, if your health benefits aren't what they should be, um, vacation time, things like that, all these things that are valuable uh, to your relationship. Or are you working? Are you are you working more than you have to? Are you using the relationship as a uh, your or your career, your job as a way to avoid or escape your relationship, uh, or to not address issues in your relationship? So your your career and your job um, uh, very much can influence and have an effect on your relationship. Uh, if your if your job stresses you out. If you don't like your boss, there's a story about 35 employees. I forget the name of the company, 35 employees who completed suicide and at this, at the same workplace and, uh, they're relating it to the, uh, the employer, the, the, the way that they've been treated on the job and, uh, you know, the benefits and hours have been cut. And it's just complete negligence and abuse at the workplace uh, to the point where people have taken their life. And, and now they're asking um, for the, uh, you know, the bosses to go to jail. And so, and this is in, where is this? This is in Paris. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, France, so it's a place called France Telecom. You know, and they're talking about moral, they've been morally harassed. And so your workplace, where you work, how you feel about your job, how you feel about how you're contributing financially, that definitely affects your relationship. If one person's making a lot more money than the other, right? Uh, whether it's uh, the man makes more, a lot, 10 times more than a woman or vice versa, or one person's not working at all. Like all these things play into uh, how strong your relationship is, right? Um, and then the last part is, and it, do you have a passion for your work? Are you passionate? If you're not, if you're doing something you're not passionate about, then it's going to be hard for you to all of a sudden be passionate at home and in a bedroom and with the kids and about other things. So you know, take time and really look at the work you're doing and. And if you're, and if you don't feel like, you know, your, your job is, maybe you love your job and you, you just, maybe you're not getting paid. Ask, man, ask for, for pay raise. Ask if there's a way for you to, to work from home two or three days out the week. Um, you know, ask if you can be uh, transferred or, uh, you know, see what your options are or, or move or get promoted or, you know, if you want to like. Talk, sit down, talk to your boss and, and let them know, uh, 
you know, what, you know, is it the commute? Is it the hours? Is it the, like, what is it? And what can you do? How can you be of value? Or, you know, start looking for work elsewhere. Um, it's, you always want to look for a job before you need to look for a job, is, is what I say, especially in this economy. And be aware of the threats to your job because a lot of uh, jobs, uh, these computers and AI, they're, they're threatening to take away a lot of jobs. So innovation is great uh, for companies, but not for the people. So and it's and, and, and it's great for profits, but not for the for not for the employee. So, um, it, you know, just it, when you when you're able to get sleep and, and you can, if you could walk to work, you know how much happier you'd be being able to walk to work. And then you can, you know, if both of you are able to do that and then um, you could meet for lunch that kind of thing. Like that's a beautiful thing, too. You should be able to uh, get to work in a, in a decent amount of time and then meet your significant other for lunch and then come back home for uh, dinner. This whole work all day and, and work, you know, uh, work on the weekends and show up early, stay late, like, that's for a select few. But, you know, if we're talking about long-term health of yourself and your relationship um then you know have have a discussion talk to your spouse talk to your employee there's so many books that'll help you have those conversations like never split the difference if you're if you don't know how to uh approach the subject of a pay raise um but you know it, it weighs it, it weighs on your on your relationship for sure I know for me uh, even now it's like I travel a lot and I've, I've gotten a, into some uh, discourse with uh, with ex-girlfriends about you know how long I'm gonna be gone and do I have to keep do I have to do I have to do all these shows at night and um, you know all the phone calls and the emails and the tech who is that and you know, not realizing that it's, it's business, you know, it's like the, the entertainment business never sleeps. So uh, sometimes you got to take a phone call at two o'clock in the morning because the other person is in Shanghai or what have you. So, excuse me, the um, so, yeah, work is just it, it has a huge bearing on your relationship. And the last part is community. Now, like I said, you could label these however you want to. But these are just the, the, when I think about a relationship and the five things, community is so big. And, and what I mean is, I'm fortunate that I live in a place in Los Angeles where I just, I'm sorry, I ate right before I did the podcast because I wasn't expecting the podcast. Uh, I thought I had an episode locked and loaded, ready to go. And it is not there. So now we are recording this podcast because I'm all about consistency and staying on top of it and accountability. So, and something told me to record this earlier, but I didn't listen to my intuition. So I digress. Going back to community. Um, let's not in the previous um, uh, podcast with Ashley Mallow, she talked about 
Oh, no, not Ashley Madeline, uh, Celeste, uh, Margot Celeste Alvarez. She talked about environmental depression. And sometimes our environment can cause depression. As you can see with the 35 employees who took their life, um, people who uh, live in environmentally poor areas, meaning uh, there aren't any museums, uh, there are no farmers markets. There are there's just no there's just very little stimulation. There's there's no nowhere to go hiking. There are no parks. Nothing to stimulate the mind and or body, and uh, is not is not healthy. And if it's also it's not healthy for an individual, it's also not healthy for uh, a couple or a relationship. You know where I live. There's a farmer's market. There's a different farmer's market almost every single day. I think actually every day. There's a different farmer's market seven days a week. I am in a very environmentally rich neighborhood. Uh, I live right on a bike path and a walk path that goes forever up and down from the city up into the mountains. Uh, I'm very close. I'm 20, 30 minutes away from hiking trails, just being out there in nature, uh, in, in, in forest, uh, hiking in the woods uh, with, with wolves and rattlesnakes and, and things of that sort. Uh, there's a bookstore. There's a, um, there's a, actually there's a couple. There's, a, there's, there's like, there's three, there's one used bookstore, uh, a used and new bookstore, a, I was I thought there was another one and there's a new there's a Barnes and Noble and all within walking distance of where I live not only you know movie theaters uh, every type of grocery store it's all right here um, and then of course bars and and clubs and, um, and things of that nature and then to get to museums that you know all within 30 minutes so I live in a very environmentally rich neighborhood. Now, I also live in a very car culture neighborhood, so the only downside is not a lot of people walking uh, on the sidewalks. It's not like a sidewalk. Even though there's sidewalks everywhere and the, and the area is actually sidewalk friendly, just people, uh, unless it's on the walk and bike path, you just don't see people walking uh, on the sidewalks like you would in New York or Chicago. Um, LA is just not built like that. So that, that's the only downside, right? So that, like you really have to be intentional about seeing people and, uh, and, and surround and being social. But your, your environment, if you have places to go, uh, things to do, uh, uh, different activities within your neighborhood, there's always uh, music at the park and uh, different bands and festivals and, and outdoors, outdoor yoga, all these different types of things to, to be involved in if, if you're a couple uh, that, you know, is just, you just get on the internet, click, and then you're ready. Um, and so you have to think about that. And not to say that this is the best option for everyone because there's also no, uh, no weather changes. And so I, I actually, would prefer to live somewhere where it snowed and thunderstormed and things like that. I love weather. Um, I realize that now. I, I, 
I thought like, you know, sunshine 365 days a year would be amazing. It's not. Um, I'd rather uh, be somewhere where there was a change of scenery and temperatures and weather. And um, it just makes me, because that's how I, I don't, because be, I think part of it is because I don't always feel, you know, cheery and, and sunshiny that I would love to be in a, uh, in a place where that reflects that, that we, you know, it's like, oh, I have moves and, and, and the weather and the, the you know, the, um, the environment has moves. So good. So I'm not crazy. It's like, oh, I have some storms going on inside me, but the storms going on outside. Great. But when, when you have a storm going on inside you and then outside there's just birds chirping and sun shining, uh, there's a huge disconnect there and it feels very strange. So when you, you think about your relationship and the person you want to be with, just don't think about the, the other person and just don't think about yourself. Think about where you want to be. And, and I understand that everything can't be perfect to have the perfect job and the perfect climate and the perfect partner and uh, the perfect family. Like there's, there's, you nobody gets a hundred percent of the pie. You're going to have, uh, you know, 15% from your partner, uh, you know, 14% from you, uh, you know, maybe 10% from your job, uh, 8% from the environment, uh, you know, 12% from the community, like whatever that is, but take stock of it, take note of it. Like, is it how much of how you're feeling, what you're experiencing have to do with you and how much of it is the, your family and how much of it is your community, how much of it is uh, the work that you're doing? Is it too stressful? Is it not stressful? Is it is it, maybe it's not challenging enough the work you're doing? Maybe you're bored. So look at those things. I, I wanted to expand on that from my Instagram if you're not following me on Instagram, it's leoflowers2000. We also have a uh, Before You Kill Yourself um, on Instagram. You click on that and, and I upload uh, the newest episodes to actually both accounts. Um, and so I uh, just wanted to give that quick shout out. Now, I also want to share with you my bedtime routine. And I, I think I've shared this before. And the only reason why I bring it up is because I, I was talking to a friend about she, uh, her, she, her father passed away recently and she's been struggling with, um, sleeping at night because the, uh, the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions and the memories and all that stuff starts flooding back. And I said to her, like, you you need to take some time to 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 journal before you go to sleep you these thoughts and ideas that keep you up at night are the result of you not giving them air to breathe during the day let's say it again the thoughts and feelings and emotions that you have at night is the result of you not giving them you're not giving them air time Give them some airtime. Let them talk. You know, that, that voice is like your, is your nine-year-old self. And 
you have to let the children need to be heard. Your inner child uh, has has some validity, has some points, has some things that they want to say, and you have to give them the floor at some point instead of trying to shut them up with work, shut them up with sex, shut them up with food, shut them up with uh, drugs, shut them up with television and distractions and social media. You must be able to intentionally give time because then when you do that, when they know that they're going to be able to talk to you, you know, from eight to eight thirty or or, or nine to nine fifteen, what what however much time you want to give them, but when they know that you two are going to be able to talk every day. You know, it's like that scene in a movie where um, the, the, the family sits down at the table and they check in with each other. Hey, how was work? How was school? Blah, blah, blah. Everybody's checking in. And usually what happens is everybody's chiming in with a bunch of superficial responses. You know, oh, school's great. Uh, such and such said, and then everybody laughed and, you know, work was fine. Uh, you know, the hours are getting to me, blah, blah, blah. So you're giving these very generic answers, but then when you go to tuck them in bed, when the parent goes to tuck the child in bed, the parent sits on the edge of the bed and then pulls the covers over the child and, and tucks tucks the child in at the sides. That's when the parent then, you know, probes a little deeper. Hey, uh, you know, what you said at the table earlier about such and such. You want to tell me more about that? And, and then that's when the kid, you'll find, will open up a bit more. And it's after that last check-in right before bed. That, that last uh, the last bit of airtime, that's when uh, a real connection is made. And that's when a kid feels heard and validated and supported. And so we have to learn how to do that for ourselves on a daily basis, not just when the sandstorms hit. You can't, we can't, that's the, a lot of us are just, we're just meditating and journaling and work like when 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 crap hits the fan. But when you make it a part of your daily practice, then the, the, you'll find that the crap doesn't hit the fan as as much as it used to, right? So check in with yourself. I'll give you an example because I, I think a, a a lot of times, um, excuse me, I hadn't been doing it. Because I was like, I don't want to be bringing up, you know, emotional stuff and then I can't really sleep. So it doesn't have to be pure emotionally driven uh, um, uh, journals or entries, journal entries, right? So I'll give you an example. So I always write 1 through 10 in my journal. And then I'll just write 10 things that come to mind, whatever they are. So here's what I wrote uh, July 12th. 
walls are thoughts, ideas, and past experiences. That's one. Two, phone interview with Eric. Three, reciprocal inhibition, activate one muscle to turn off the other. Four, pain in car but went some home. Shower, drink water, resilient. Uh, five, just observe your behavior. Don't control. Track it visually. Six, uh, physical resilience means drinking water or taking a shower. Emotional resilience equals singing and or dancing. Seven, label emotions. Eight, I travel, I see family, Chicago, Indiana, New Zealand, Belize. Nine, I travel to share with others my experiences. Uh, she went all the way to Barcelona in those stories. Ten, I love laughing with my sister. And I have some, uh, I wrote some, other, I went down to 11 and 12. But I, I'm just, I'm reading that to you as an example of, it doesn't have to be this, oh, my life sucks, this is over, I can't stand myself, blah, 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 blah. It could literally just be observations of your day, just thoughts. And, you know, my, my journal entries aren't like that every day. Uh, some days are more uh, long-winded and more emotionally laden than others. But I notice uh, if I stay on top of it, I have fewer of those entries and more of the objective prefrontal cortex uh, type of entries. So I hope that was of value to you. Um, and that, was there anything else I want to say? It's creating a man. It's hard for some reason. Uh, uh, oh, uh, well, no, I'm going to leave it. Yeah, I, that's it, guys. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that you have tuned in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Um, to, you know, take care of yourself. Uh, I'll leave you with, um, something from David Goggins. If you haven't read his book, David Goggins, 40%, um, reach for your mental cookie jar is what he talks about. And this is, goes back to the, when I was reading, uh, an excerpt from the untethered soul about, uh, overeating. Uh, or smoking, and that David Goggins, he's the author who wrote, uh, you can't, is it You Can't Kill Me? Is that the name of the book? David Goggins, You Can't, uh, the name of the book. oh, Can't Hurt Me, alright, that's the name of his book, Can't Hurt Me, and in his book, he talks about how he used to be uh, extremely overweight, and then uh, he went from being extremely overweight to becoming a Navy SEAL and also, I think, a, a Ranger. Like, he became all the things. Navy SEAL, Ranger, uh, 007 agent, all that stuff, right? I don't Actually, I don't know why David Goggins isn't 007. But um, in his book, he talked about how he ran 100 miles. And at 70 miles... All the little bones in his feet were were uh, uh, broken, and he was in obviously in so much pain, and he had thirty miles to go. And what he did was he he did this thing called uh, reaching for your into the cookie jar, and in that cookie jar, in your mental cookie jar, 
are all the times that you have faced a huge hurdle, a huge obstacle, and you've overcome those odds, where the odds were stacked against you, stacked against you, and you overcame and you achieved success. It's those memories that you pull from that help you get through whatever pain or sandstorm you're going through today. And so I want to leave you with that is make a list one of, of 10 cookies that you could pull out of your cookie jar at any moment. And you might not get all 10, but that's the intention. That's the intention. If you get one, one is enough. But really, and this is not something that you'll get all in one sitting. I don't want you to, to think that you should be able to sit down and, and figure out all 10. But I want, to ch I want you to challenge yourself. Go back to your childhood. You know, when you had to, uh, you know, learn the alphabet. I remember when I had to learning how to type in high school. I hated that class. But I knew I would need to know how to type for college. And that's the only reason why I took typing in high school. And sure enough, it, it was a thing that uh, saved my life in college. So, uh, make a list. That's your homework assignment. Make a list of 10 cookies that you can put in your cookie jar. And then actually, you know, get, buy a, get a cookie jar or a shoebox or something and put them in there. And then when you, when you, you know, um, are having a sandstorm, then you reach in and you pull out one of your cookies instead of reaching for actual cookies. And on that, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for listening. I also thank you for messaging and liking uh, on, on iTunes and giving it five stars and leaving uh, great comments. And remember, the biggest thank you is that you sh you're sharing this podcast with someone who you think uh, needs to hear it. Uh, that is the biggest thank you. I thank you all for, for still being here, for fighting the good fight, for thriving, for taking care of yourself. Um, and let's, and we'll, we will talk to you in a few days. The numbers to the 1-800 hotline, always listed in the show notes. And uh, this is not a substitute for you actually talking to a real therapist or friend or stranger or someone. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll talk soon.